going with the flow and lose sight of what it is that you want. I think it's so important to identify um, goals, specific goals for each area of our life, medicine, money, and marriage, and then work towards those goals. Like I'm a very goal-oriented person and most people that are in medicine generally are, and it helps a lot to get things in perspective. Um, you know, I write at the Frugal Physician, and uh, the frugality of it can sometimes become like a scarcity mindset. So we have to be really also careful. I have to be careful not to get in that scarcity mindset. Um, and having solid goals, like solid money goals that I'm working towards, having them identified, and then also identifying when we're making that progress, we're meeting our goals, we don't need to scrimp and save anymore. Um, that's really important for me to avoid scarcity mindset and, you know, and just not spend money at all on anything nice. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. get into the show, here's a quick message from Physician Financial Services, a business wildly recognized in the physician community for disability insurance. Lawrence B. Keller, CFP, has been in the insurance and financial services industry since 1990. Unlike medicine, which has a standardized path that physicians must take to gain the education, training, and experience requirements necessary to obtain board certification, the insurance and financial services industry does not. While he might not be a doctor's first phone call regarding their insurance needs, he's often their last. Find Larry at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash Larry Keller or at the link in the description of this show. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Disha Spath. She is a board-certified internist practicing in New York who has made it one of her life goals to educate physicians on how to eliminate financial stress in order to live a happier life. Dr. Spath believes that we can all obtain financial independence faster than we think. She is also the supportive and loving wife of Josh, a project manager, and has two little children, ages four and five, and two large dogs, actually her firstborns. And in her spare time, you can catch Disha listening to jazz music. Welcome, Disha. Dr. Spath. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Well, tell us, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from. So my name is Disha, and I'm a primary care physician and a hospitalist. Um, I grew up in India and moved here when I was 10. So I'm a first-generation immigrant, and uh, I'm the daughter of a single mom at that time when she was raising me. She did remarry later on. But... Um, I uh, have a, always had kind of an interesting relationship with money because when I was a child, like um, in India, my um, family was very entrepreneurial and my um, grandfather was uh, one of the uh, higher 
political officials. So we were well off. And then my father um, passed away and we moved here and we had not a penny to our name. It completely turned around. Um, he committed suicide, um, unfortunately. So we, uh, you know, did not have um, any kind of life insurance or anything like that. And basically, all of our my mom's life savings were was spent on the ticket over here because she needed a change and a new start. So when we got here, uh, we were very poor, um, living off of you know the subsidized lunches and in. Um, uh, I think it was Section 8 housing, uh, uh, very um, uh, poor. And uh, interestingly, we were at that time also surrounded by really, really rich people because my um, community in Augusta, Georgia, there are is mostly made up of physicians and um, engineers. Um, and they all, uh, because of the low real estate um uh, costs down there all have humongous homes and, you know, are very well off. And so, so it was always the dichotomy of money and uh, watching different people manage money was a very uh, formative part of my life. And um, at the age of 13, my mom wasn't very good <laughs> with all of that. So I was helping her um, and helping her pay the bills and, you know, trying to uh, just just writing the checks and the stuff that we didn't have to do in India, um, and we all we kind of figured it out together. And it's been wow. sort of a <laughs> yeah. So it's been a learning process for me since I was a child. That you know, to how what is money, and then investing was a total black box. Like we knew nothing about that, and um, we uh, or I uh, in college was trying desperately to learn how to do it. It turned out it was like 2008 and um, it, the stock market crash happened right then and right when I was thinking about starting a Roth IRA and, you know, and it, it didn't happen <laughs> because I got scared off would have been the perfect time <laughs> in retrospect to get into it. But uh, in college, I had like three jobs and I was making money. Um, I was uh, I've always been sort of a uh, weird, uh, different person. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like working um, at the genetics lab as a uh, research uh, lab rat. And I was also bartending at a bar downtown. And then right across the street was Kaplan. And I was teaching Kaplan courses oh there. <laughs> You're a bartender, a Kaplan course teacher, and a research uh, in the genetics lab researcher. So can you make really good mixed drinks now? Eh, I kind of lost that art, actually. <laughs> it's all of this wine. I mean, wine doesn't really require any work. So. <laughs> no, I love wine. Well, tell, hey, tell me a little bit more about uh, growing up in India, though. For those, do you remember any of that? I mean, you're, what was that lifestyle like? And what were, what were your thoughts when you, you made that change after coming to the States? Gosh, it was such a different it's just a different world. It was like landing on a different planet when we came here. Um, in India, it was, we have, um, it's just such a interconnected society. And there's so many people coming in, out of the in and out of the house all the time. We had a different uh, servant for every chore in the house, basically. Um, like, yeah, we had someone to wash the dishes and someone to do the floors and someone to make the food. And um, and they were kind of like our family too. I, you know, I was basically raised by a nanny. And, um, 
So they also became part of our family and there was also extended family around all the time. Um, you know, my grandmother's house is basically where I spent most of my time and uh, my, so anyway, so it was just very interconnected. I went to a private school um, and it was an English speaking school. So that's why I think I don't have an accent. Um, I was wondering, I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the school I went to was very much like Hogwarts, you know, like we had houses and, um, <laughs> Magical, <huh? laughs> yeah, no, it was great. Uh, we're still, we had the same 20 people that went, uh, that grew up together in the same class and we're still friends and it's been, you know, such a journey. Um, but that was a completely different life. And we came here and, uh, at that time we didn't have the internet. It was just writing letters. And I, all of a sudden was totally cut off from all of that. Wow. So your your mother decided to leave that, like, did she have the opportunity to stay in that life, but it was just not the right place for her during that time in her life? Or was she disconnected from the family? Um, she wasn't disconnected from the family, but um, in India, it's very difficult to be a widow, especially a widow of a man who committed suicide. Um, so like it coming from just to give you a perspective like just a few couple of decades ago women were supposed to burn on the pyre with their husband when they died like they it was considered that they don't have any purpose anymore you know um yeah so it's it's totally extreme but that's the kind of mentality that uh, of course they're not expected to do that anymore but the mentality is still that the women the woman doesn't really you know it's they're kind of second class citizens so um so it, mom didn't want to deal with that i imagine why and uh She's a very uh, independent and a woman like I am. And, <laughs> you know, she uh, uh, came over here and made a good life for herself. She um, uh, now is teaching as a high school teacher and she's remarried. Um, and, you know, they so she's she's happier and I'm happy for her. And how do you think that affected, like, seeing her going through, you know, your father's death and her remarrying? How many years later? She got remarried, I think, when I was 16. Yeah, so that was, like, six years later, yeah. And how do you think this affected, like, your views of uh, getting married or marriage in general? <sighs> you know, um, I don't know if it – I guess it probably did affect my views on it. I don't – I never thought about it that way. Um, <laughs> but my mom – married my stepdad and um honestly i didn't like him much at the time and uh so it was a tumultuous time in all of our lives and uh and but they they just had their 20th wedding anniversary they've made it oh wow and you were 16 at the time so i'm sure you were full of hormones and had a lot of opinions about everything right mm-hmm mm-hmm your husband then we'll talk about you and josh tell first time you guys met? My gosh, that's a really funny story. <laughs> so I, at that time, was like totally anti, like, I don't want to be in a relationship. I'm not, I'm just totally over it. Um, and I was on my surgery rotation and down in Savannah, Georgia. Um, and I actually met my husband in Athens, Georgia. And at the time, he was actually living in Augusta, Georgia. So <laughs> there's 
to three different cities. Um, we just happened to be in Athens at the same time. And um, we met through uh, mutual friends. My sister had invited me up. And then her friend Ben was like, hey, my uh, army friends and I are you know, coming to town. Can we stay with you? And she said, yes. And I got pissed because I was like, poor me, there's like five men in the house. I don't want to... <laughs> Like army guys, come on. <laughs> you know, I uh, I went up anyway. And uh, as fate would have it, one of those five guys was my husband. So um, as soon as I met him, it was like just sparks, you know, like I remember looking at him for the first time and his just like bright blue eyes. And I was like, there's just his whole person. His whole person was just so appealing to me and I was not ready to even be open to that but um he uh we totally just hit it off and um kicked some butt at pool that night and you know <laughs> built some camaraderie <laughs> who, wait, who won did you win or did he win we were playing on a team against other people team okay yes. <laughs> yeah I'm usually like totally hit and miss with pool like <laughs> and then what happened next so Interestingly, so that night was so memorable because me, we, it was a snowstorm in Georgia, which never happens. And, <laughs> and my sister uh, was underage <laughs> and her and her friends were all like just getting sloshed. And we had to, they, I, we were having, Josh and I were having a great time. And all of a sudden they're like puking everywhere. And we're like, oh my God, we got to get these girls out of here. <laughs> And so we go and um, go get a cab and get them in there. And it's a mess. And uh, we're almost to their house again, which is like a little ways away and to their apartment. And we realize they don't have their key. Like they don't know where they put it. And then we realize, oh, it was in the car back downtown. And then we have to take the taxi all the way back downtown. Oh, no. <laughs> it was such a mess. And then no one had cash. They only took cash and no one had it. So then we had to take the taxi to the ATM. Oh, my gosh. I feel like probably so many people have had stories like this. But this was the first time you met Josh. Yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the cab uh, and the girls were like, threatening to uh, vomit in the cab. So the cab driver made them get out at the parking lot. And then I took the cab to the to the ATM. And got, and then Josh was like left holding these two girls that were like puking everywhere. And um, anyway, so we made it back home <laughs> some way, somehow. And uh, our first night together was taking care of my sister and her friend and like getting them in bed and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's actually really sweet. And then you guys stuck together. Yeah. And then after all of that, we're just like, wow, that was an experience. And uh... <laughs> and then did he ask you like on a date? Did you ask him? Uh, after that, yeah, actually. So we tried, you know, we, after that meeting, he went back to Augusta. I was in Savannah. So we kind of kept in touch and then it came back to Augusta. And I invited him to one of our friends' gatherings uh, that we were just getting pizza and, you know, I invited him to come. And, uh, and then it, it took off from there. And you guys were both in Ath Athens at the time. Uh, we met in Athens, but I was in Savannah and he was in Augusta. So you had to like meet, make a point to like be able to meet up. Okay. Right. Yeah. 
Okay. And so then when was it you guys fell in love? When did you know? Uh, really, it was pretty quick. <laughs> it was pretty quick. We were just, uh, I mean, ever since that first weekend, we, I just knew like it was special and it was different. Um, so um, we, it, it really, it was, a, we, for one month, we're more like, you know, like, just checking each other out but also it was just me making sure i was being stupid and there wasn't something i i was missing so really slow paid played it for a month you know <laughs> and you were in your surgery rotation right yes yeah i was on my surgery rotation i was really busy yeah and how long and how so how many years have you been together now we've been together now for um eight years eight years okay how long have you known each other yeah, so I guess eight years is how long we've known each other. We've been married for six. Okay, eight and six. And then over, so over that time, I ask all my, I like to ask all my guests what your definition of marital interdependence is. And some people say that's changed, right, over the six or eight years. What would you say your definition of marital interdependence is? I think, you know, we, we definitely uh, play it uh, play like a team and i really like that he has different strengths than i do and we utilize those different strengths in different situations um like for example our rental properties you know like if i need someone to be like the good guy that's when my josh goes in <laughs> you know <laughs> you're good at being the bad guy i'm good at being the bad guy <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's that's how I yeah. I'm I'm we're me and Victor are the opposite. He's like, okay, I can't I can't deal with this situation. You need to go to kick these people out or whatever. <laughs> and and I can do it very nicely, right? I can do it very nicely. But he Yes. Yeah. So yeah, what like so he goes in, like give me an example. So you want him to be the good guy and go talk about like if we're negotiating and you know we're at the table and the other, I usually play very hardball when it comes to negotiations. And um, if I need someone to smooth things over or like you know just uh, build some rapport, then Josh is really good at that. So it's his blue eyes, probably. Yes, <laughs> he's such a like a just so open, likable person. So. Mm -hmm. Well, that's perfect. You know, go back to the, the how your views of money evolved from what you saw growing up in India and then, you know, kind of like helping your mom, I feel like a lot, most of your later childhood and then in college. And then how has that played into your married married life? What What are your husband's views and how do you guys handle money together? Well, the traditional role of a man in in India is to be like the guy that takes care of the guy takes care of all the money stuff. Right. And, um, and, uh, that's not how it is in my household. And it kind of evolved. Um, initially I tried to go with that sentiment of, you know, the man takes care of things and, um, tried to lay off on the money management. we weren't really doing much money management, honestly, but, um, you know, there have been, we realized as things time went on that we needed to be more, um, mindful. And, um, and at some point I decided to write my second maternity leave when I started to turn things around is when I took over the finances. <laughs> Oh, okay. So is this like where things pivoted? Because, you know, I've read your blog where, you're, where you basically say, you know, you had that house or you were that physician that spent probably more than you wanted to or needed, needed to. So yeah. So like, when did that switch happen? Um, my second maternity leave, I was on, on unpaid uh, during that maternity leave. I was the primary earner and um, Josh was going to school for his master's. And 
we I was just stressed out about money because I first of all I didn't know what her situation was like actually money and numbers wise and I was trying to scrimp and scrape every cent that I could and really not winning at money because I was um, spending most of my maternity leave sewing a cover to a couch that I could have bought and um, and I was wasting all of my, that time with my baby. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And I just realized I'm doing something wrong here. Like this is not this is not winning, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sewing a cover to a couch. Okay. That is something I don't think I would attempt, but you know, I actually loved sewing. I had a sewing machine. I loved sewing, but yeah, now it takes, it just takes a lot of time. It does. Yeah. And especially like a, a couch cover, they're so complicated and it was just, uh, it was such a, one of those, like, uh, I started it. I have all the material. I got to finish it, but it was not a fun, fun process. It was life-changing. You may call it. <laughs> Yeah, life changing. So, okay. So th because of that couch cover, you decided you need to get control of your finances. And what did you do? What did you start doing? So we sat down, we made a plan of, well, first of all, we actually looked at our accounts and we're like, okay, so how much do we owe? What interest rates are they at? Because I had no idea. And, um, what what's our net worth? Uh, and it was abysmal. It was negative $120,000 at the time. Um, uh, so this is right after residency and I had a lot of student loan debt and a mortgage and two car debts. And we had a rental property that had its mortgage. Listen, you were 120,000 in debt. Uh, we were $750,000 in debt. We had like $500,000 asset. Okay. So net. Okay. And then what about your, your medical school loans? Yeah. And the medical school loans were 200,000. Okay, got it. That's really, it was 238 at the time. That was the majority of why we were so negative. You know, the houses has had value. And so, you know, the, the houses were what was like the 500,000. Basically, we didn't have any other. Got it. Okay. Okay. So you looked at your accounts and then what'd you guys do? So we were like, okay, so we have to start turning things around here and get in the positive. Um, we uh, decided to start with a debt snowball, basically, uh, where we were taking, we focused on paying off the smallest uh, debt at the time, which was our cars. And um, and then we, once we knocked those out, we went toward, we rolled the payments towards our cars into our student loan payments and just kept going. Um, so... So yeah, so we knocked out the first car in a couple of, a few months, well, it didn't take long. And then the second car, um, <clears throat> again, a few months, and then uh, the student loans in 17 months after that. And uh, bam, 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 we just like really just cut our spending and um, really got intentional with what we were doing with our money and looking at every expense, um, but keeping a budget. Um, and focusing on cutting down our fi fixed costs. That's what we were really worried about is all the, the things that we have to pay for every month were quite high. Um, so the phone plans, you know, we we're paying $200 for phones when now we're paying like 50 to a hundred. Uh, we cut that in half and just by switching carriers, um, just looking at all the fixed expenses, the unused subscriptions, the, um, uh, grocery costs. You know, we were, I spent a lot of money on groceries and we ended up throwing out a lot of groceries. You know, it was wasteful. Uh, so we got more intentional about that. We changed grocery stores instead of going to the nice, um, 
you know, Publix or a, a beautiful displayed high cost grocery store. We just went to Walmart and Aldi and all of a sudden our grocery bill was cut in half, you know, we, even though we weren't sacrificing on the food or anything, you know, we were still having ex exactly everything we wanted to eat. It was just lower cost. Like, why would you not, you know? Wow. Okay. Did that take any, um, did you guys just switch just like that or did, were you sad? Were you upset, angry, frustrated? Yeah. I mean, there were, it was a process. Uh, the, I like the snowball because it gives you the validation, especially when you feel like you don't know what you're doing with the money and with money in general, like you don't have the, the knowledge. It's a really good way to get that like, okay, did this doing the right thing. We just paid off a car. Woohoo. You know? Um, so then it gives you the motivation to make the next change and the next change. And so a lot of it was over time, gradually every month we're looking at this fixed cost and then this fixed cost and how can we cut that down? And finally about, um, a year into our snowball, we're like mortgage, and the house, the house, not just the mortgage, but all the incidentals that came with owning a house. Like this is really um, sucking up a lot of our extra cash. Uh, and so we were gonna move at that time um, back to New York or for Josh, his, his family is up here. We're gonna move and we're like, you know, why don't we rent? Um, and why don't we downsize a bit so we can just really make more room in our debt snowball? Cause we were so focused on that at that time. And, and that's, that's one fixed cost that we can lower. So that's what we did. And it, it made sense because, you know, we were moving to a completely new part of the country and we didn't know the area. I didn't know the area, Josh did, but he had never looked at it from the perspective of having a family and where would he want to live, you know, with a family. So we're like, you know, let's just rent and get to know every, everything and make sure the shack can survive the winners. <laughs> yeah. Which part of New York are you guys in? Upstate. Um, we are in Albany. Uh, actually, technically, uh, Saratoga County. Okay. So the cost of living there, was it similar to being in uh, Georgia? Yeah, Georgia. Uh, not really. The real estate's much more expensive. Um, the taxes are much higher. Um, thankfully, uh, because Josh is a veteran, we are able to hack that a bit. Um, he has a service connected disability and it's actually a very veteran friendly area. So, um, he was diagnosed with Crohn's when he was, uh, when he was deployed to Afghanistan. And so he gets ongoing care at the VA for that. And so, um, so anyway, he, uh, gets a discount, um, for, on his taxes, we get, uh, like 50% off. So, so that's a huge win for us because that makes the taxes comparable to Georgia. But the actual living, the actual like cost of the home, your mortgage or your lease payment. Yeah. When we moved, when we rented a place, the, the rental prices up here were definitely higher than in Georgia. So our fixed mortgage slash rent expense went down only $200, even though we downsized quite considerably, you know, so we could have gotten more if we had just downsized in Georgia, I guess more um, Delta there. But, um, be but because we moved up here, we also had uh, uh, help with our kids. Um, Josh's parents took care of the kids a lot. So that saved us a huge amount on daycare expenses. Oh yeah. That was going to be my next question. Childcare. How did you guys, how do you guys do that affordably? 
Um, yeah, so family uh, helps. You know, it's so good for the grandparents to be around the kids, and it's so good for the kids to be around them. So we do well before coronavirus. We were doing like two days with grandma and two days at the two to three days at the daycare. So we split it up. So just so they would get a little bit of exposure to other kids and you know socialize and that kind of thing. Um, and then also had good time with grandma, and it was a win money wise for us. Okay. And then, yeah, how do you, okay. Oh, the other thing I wanted to ask is travel. Cause I know you like traveling, right? So how do you, how do you guys make travel affordable yet not seem cheap, you know? Yes. Yeah. Like it's, go where you want to go and, and really enjoy your, your time. I love planning vacations and I love frugal hacking stuff. And, uh, you know, like that's like my pastime when I'm like hanging out and like trying to think of, uh, I want to have extra time and I'm like, okay, so I'm on Hopper and like trying to plan out the next trip that we have. So the Hopper will watch fares for you and it'll notify you when the prices come down. Um, and the prices are really quite seasonal and sometimes don't have anything to do with like reality, <laughs> like up and down. So some, if you catch them at the, at the low point, that's great, you know? Um, so I, so Hopper helps a lot. Um, uh, when we're planning a trip, I'm looking at Google ITA software. Um, that is, it breaks down all of the flight options for you for wherever you want to be going. And, um, and it's a really neat way to look at flight schedules and optimize your trip. You can, it shows you the exact layover time for each flight kind of in a graphic format um, so that you can also maximize layovers. Was that Google Flights? Uh, it's not Google Flights. Uh, it's Google ITA software, which is a little bit different. It's through Google, um, but just more detailed, uh, way more detailed version. Um, I would um, definitely advise people to book through the actual airline. So if you go through the actual airline, then you get the protections of like um, the cancellation and all of that. Um, and so then there aren't so many glitches. I've noticed that if you go book through Google, there are a lot of glitches when you go to check in because, oh, you booked through a third party and, you know. And then Hopper tells you like when, when it's nice to go good prices to go at good destinations type of a thing or? Or so say I wanted to go to Paris. Um, so I would say New York to Paris and put that watch alert in um, for a certain time of the year. And then it will, uh, it'll tell me this is a good time to book or wait a little while because the prices are high. And then, yeah. And then, so it's like watching that, that route for me. And as soon as the prices hit um, to the point where, it's the be really good deal. It'll notify. It'll send you a ping and say. So that takes care of your flights, and then you f feel like your your hotels or your Airbnbs or where are you guys where are you guys staying. Yeah, it, it all depends on where we're going. Sometimes the hotels are a better idea. Um, so like in India, hotels are generally a good idea. Um, so, uh, but. Um, uh, we use uh, Chase points. We use a Chase Reserve uh, card to book the hotels and the Marriott um, rewards programs and the Hyatt rewards programs. So it's very, the because um, 
we're blessed with a, a higher income as physicians. You know, we can also accumulate rewards as long as we are very careful not to build up a balance on the credit card. And you know, you have to remember that it's not our money. We have to pay it back. <laughs> it comes with 16% interest rate. So <laughs> don't fill that up if you can help it. <laughs> okay. Okay, Disha. Okay. And then, yeah, so, so that's, so that's a, so some great, uh, great tips there. Hopper and Google ITA. I'm going to have to, once we, I, yeah, I'm itching to travel again here, but I'll have to look into those. And then, oh, let me, let me ma mention a couple more. Scott's Cheap Flight sends you emails, uh, alerts when they're like really good routes. And also next vacay, um, uh, is a, uh, a similar, email notification system for good deals going around. Um, and But that next vacay is focused on just like your airport and it will give you the deals from your airport. And then, yeah, and then let's talk about a little bit about your, you know, your kids and how you have invested for them or teach them the value of money. What do you do in regards to your children? Oh my gosh, I am such a tiger mom when it comes to teaching my kids about money and investing specifically because... Oh my gosh, it's so fun. Um, and it's amazing how they just pick up on it. Um, I instituted a system in our house where um, we will write down chores for them and a monetary value for the chores. And I know that's controversial because some parents don't like paying kids for their you know household duties. But um, for me, my kids are so young right now <clears throat> that it's really fun for them. So like they get a dollar for making their bed and they get a dollar for helping me clean and um, or fold clothes or whatever. And then they get to decide if that dollar goes into their piggy bank. Well, actually they put it directly into their piggy bank and then they decide if they want to take the money from their piggy bank and invest it or spend it on a toy. Um, you know, they've made good decisions so far and I don't, I try not to lead them on that too much, but I, they have UTA, UTMA accounts at Acorns and it is a little bit higher cost and we're probably going to switch over at some point, but for right now it's so user-friendly and the interface is so, inter is so, it makes sense to the kids, you know, cause they see a compound interest graph. They see how much money they're going to have at 21. If they put that money now, and they understand this at ages four and five. Yes. Yes. Right. It was mostly my five-year-old that understands now, but it's so funny. Like as soon as you start to teach them about like the value of money, like they do their chores and they're like, Oh, that's a dollar. Wow. That was a lot of work for a dollar, you know? And, <laughs> and then like the other day I got like a, Josh had to have a tea um, and he, we got like the anesthesia bill was like $800. And I was like, and I, and I was telling Josh like, Hey, that's $800. I'm going to pay it. And Aiden goes, $800. That's a lot of money, mom. <laughs> I'm like, yes, Aiden, it's a lot of money. <laughs> Make his bed yet 800 times. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if they're going to start asking when they can make, right, make five or $10 instead. But what tour can I do for that, right? Oh, it's already started. Yeah, he's like, now he's like pestering me like, mom, I need chores. Like, I need more money. <laughs> so like, okay, you know, so they're, it's good because they do help with the house, you know, and they're building the good habits of um, all the things that they need to do. And hopefully we're not raising them with too much of a silver spoon and they're going to learn how to take care of their home when they're older. <laughs> so that's my goal. Do they ever ask you for, so because you have that set up, do they ever ask you to buy them things or do they know they 
have to save up themselves? They still ask me and um, sometimes, so, you know, we're quite generous with them for their birthdays and Christmas. Um, that's when they get stuff from mom and dad. So um, they'll ask me to put it on their Christmas list or birthday list. Um, but they know that if they want it now, they're going to have to save up for it and get it themselves. What do you think has been the smartest financial decision um, you've made in your life? And what do you think is the smartest financial decision other doctors can probably, everyone has the ability to make in their life? I think the smile, smartest financial decision I made was to pay off my loans. It's just made such a difference in my lifestyle and my mentality because it was such a huge uh, line item on our monthly cash flow. Um, and now that it's gone, it's made so much room and really a world of a difference in how much I feel like I can do like professionally. I've been able to cut back my clinical hours a bit and spend more time on my hobby here at the frugal position and, um, you know, and like passion projects and time with my kids and uh, just being having that room and freedom to help design a life that's the best for me has been so awesome. And this is your loans. What, what When you say loans, are you referring to all of your loans? Student loans. Student loans. Okay. And do you think this is probably the smartest financial decision any doctor can make? Now that's more difficult. Because <laughs> it's so dependent on the situation, uh, on each person's situation. I'd say if, it's, if your loan to a salary ratio is greater than two to one, it may... It, it would take a lot of resources to um, get to pay those loans off or in a lot of time. Um, so I would say if there's any type of forgiveness you can qualify for, you'd go for that. But if you're like me, where your loan to debt ratio is one to one um, and you don't you don't work in a public service uh, nonprofit institution, then paying them off quickly is definitely the best way to go. Okay. And then, and then also, how do you guys invest in your marriage? We uh, are very, well, we were better about it before coronavirus. I will tell you that. <laughs> it, um, we were doing regular date nights once a month before coronavirus. But now with uh, COVID, it's been, you know, all, uh, social distancing and trying to keep everyone healthy has sort of uh, limited that a bit. But we do... We do um, make time. As, uh, the grandparents will volunteer to take the kids for uh, an evening or overnight um, uh, once in a while. And we'll take that time to do like a nice, just uh, recently we did just like a nice stay at home date where we cooked dinner together and worked out and watched a movie and took a bubble bath, you know, and just like had couple time. It was so nice. A lot of the times, like we're so busy that it's hard to carve out the time, but it, we really work on identifying that, um, the, you know, it's, it's apparent when we miss our date nights that we are drifting apart. Um, and it's so important to rekindle like why we're together um, every once in a while. Otherwise, like the kids are pretty much run the household. I feel like it, I feel like in my life, right? Well, thanks so much to show what else, like, are there any other things we haven't covered that you really wanted to talk about in regards, regards to medicine, marriage, money? 
I think it's so easy to get caught up and just um, keep going with the flow and lose sight of what it is that you want. I think it's so important to identify um, goals, specific goals for each area of our life, medicine, money, and marriage, and then work towards those goals. Like I'm a very goal-oriented person and most people that are in medicine generally are, and it helps a lot to get things in perspective. Um, you know, I write at the frugal physician and uh, the frugality of it can sometimes become like a scarcity mindset. So we have to be really also careful. I have to be careful not to get in that scarcity mindset. Um, and having solid goals, like solid money goals that I'm working towards, having them identified, and then also identifying when we're making that progress, we're meeting our goals, we don't need to scrimp and save anymore. Um, that's really important for me to avoid scarcity mindset and, you know, and just not spend money at all on anything nice, you know. So I now that we have goals, we can identify when we meet them and then guilt-free enjoy the nice things in life otherwise. Yeah. So how do you know? Like how, how do you know when it's when you're meeting your goals? You're meeting your goals. I guess so I guess you set your goals and then you met them. And then you said you're saying so you can kind of stop scrimping so much. Yeah. So um Josh and I meet once a month for our budget date and that's really key for us. So so our goal has been to um uh, invest a certain portion of our savings um, and uh, save the other portion for our next rental property. And um, so as long as we're meeting those goals, then, well, we have our budget set up so that we have room for shopping. We have room for fun funds or entertainment, you know, and we have like, we set aside a thousand dollars a month to shop. Um, we don't always use it. <laughs> you know, a lot of the times we don't use it. So it builds up. Let's nice have that available, that cushion available. Yeah. So it's nice to have that built into our um, budget. And so it's when, when I do shop for things and I tend to look for sales and, you know, and I'm frugal about what I buy. And generally I hate paying full price. I refuse to. You bought some really nice ball gowns, right? Some really nice ball gowns. Oh, yeah. I, Nakon is like my favorite designer. And she, unfortunately, is going out of business and closing shops. So she is everything on her site is 80% off right now. And so yeah, so I had the room in my budget. And uh, definitely, you know, we have our shopping line item, and I have to meet it. Because honestly, I, I make myself a little bit, make sure that we do meet those goals of the different, you know, self-care or spending things that I should have on my budget because I have a, I have a tendency to get too frugal and too cheap you know so it's important to do that in our household um, so yeah I definitely look for the deals and you know wait until it's uh, at a discount before I buy it but I you know I, I it is important to me to stay out of that scarcity mindset and actually actually indulge in the good things in life because life is short you know, we don't know when we're gonna just not have it anymore so we need to enjoy yeah, no, I love that. I mean, because you're being smart about everything, you're budgeting everything, but you're also allowing for 
I mean, for yourself to spend a little bit on material or, you know, you're at least, that's not, you're not considering it bad or evil. You know, it's like, it's okay. You can spend on travel experience, on things, on investing. And then um, you never know. And frugal doesn't have to look cheap. You know, just because someone looks expensive doesn't mean they've paid the price. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Disha. Tell us about where we can find you. I'm at thefrugalphysician.com. And I have a, a Facebook group called The Frugal Physicians. And I'm on Instagram and Pinterest and Twitter as well. Oh my gosh, you're everywhere. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Kate. Such a great show with Dr. Disha Spath. Before we end, don't forget to reach out to Larry Keller of Physician Financial Services for your disability insurance needs. He's been around for a while in many physician communities, helping them with the coverage they need. Find Larry at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash Larry Keller. Oh my gosh, Dr. Disha Spath, such a pleasure to talk to. She is just the cutest. I love, I love her, love her, love her. So for her big take-home points or my big take-home points from Dr. Disha's bath. Number one, using the debt snowball principle to climb out of debt and learn how to manage money without being too overwhelmed might be helpful. It was definitely helpful for her. So paying off the smallest bill or the smallest debt that you have is what they call the debt snowball. You start with the smallest, then you go to the biggest. And it helps give you motivation, build up your momentum and keep going. Each month you can focus on a different thing. And hopefully this can cause you less over overwhelm when you think of the big, oh my gosh, look at all my debt picture. Try this. If you're in debt. <laughs> Number two, cut down on fixed costs. Things such as phone plans. Look at your phone plans. Can you switch carriers? Unused subscriptions, get rid of them. Can you rent instead of own a large home that may be old or, or require a lot of work? Can you downsize somehow? This might seem not tangible and completely out of reach and crazy, but people do it. People do it to cut down on their fixed costs, to get out of debt, to move closer to financial freedom, whatever goals you may have. And moving closer to family, moving closer to grandparents, if that is available to you to help with childcare costs. Number three, raising your children without a silver spoon will teach them to know the importance of money and better equip them to be independent sooner in life. For Disha, for Dr. Spath, she was initially raised in a very wealthy upbringing. While things drastically changed, as she told us, when she moved to, from India to the United States at the age of 10, but she still maintained this mentality when she grew up, when she got married, that the man of the household would do the financial things. And it wasn't until her second maternity leave she realized she needed to take control of the finances herself. And they both became aware of what they needed to do to climb out of debt and create you know, a more secure financial legacy for their family. Number four. So Dr. Disha strongly believed that her most valuable 
and important financial decision she ever made in her life was paying off her student loans. This gave her more freedom. This gave her more, more wiggle room in her monthly expenses. And I wanted you guys to understand that this, and also her, you know, I asked her, is this advice you would get every physician? She said, well, there's no blanket advice, right? There's no, the best financial decision every physician can make when it comes to paying off debt, because we're all in different places. What kind of debt do we have? What is our mentality? Do we work in a public or private institution? Will our debt be forgiven eventually? What kind of unique circumstances are you in? What's your debt to income ratio? How do you feel about it? Is it causing you anxiety or fear? Maybe look into that why. So there's not one answer whether to pay off all your student loans as quickly as you can or draw them out or as long as you can, which is currently my approach as some of you guys know. I don't have anxiety over it. Dr. Spath, it was the best financial decision she ever made in her life. So just realize this is a unique individual decision based on your household. I just love hearing all these wonderful different perspectives on money, frugality, cheap culture. It's just, I, I love it so much. And if you guys do too, please share this episode with somebody you think it could help, somebody you could reach, pay it forward. I love hearing from you guys. So reach out to me at any time on my social media platforms. And as, as always, you're welcome to join the, if, uh, if you're a physician, you're welcome to join Medicine, Marriage, and Money, my Facebook group of a small, intimate group where we just uh, feed each other marriage advice, ask questions, um, encourage other people to give each other support on making successful relationships work. If you are not, if you are not a physician, you can still reach out to me. You can follow me on Instagram. You can sign up for a free coaching consult with me, and I can show you how to change, uh, enhance your relationship. Stop fighting with your spouse as much and really just take control of your life and reach out to me. I would love to do that, medicinemarriageandmoney.com. Also join my husband's Facebook group. Anybody can join. You don't have to be a physician. 39.6 community. It's all about, well, it's heavily focused on finance, not just for physicians, for anyone. And it, he loves to talk about safe car you can drive, the most affordable house, ha house hacking, real estate, everything, everything. Uh, creating legacy for your family, how to invest in, in your children, all those types of things. So if you're still listening, oh my gosh, I love you guys. You are my people. I hope you walk away asking yourself, how can I find the balance between being frugal and indulging in all the good things? Do I ever find myself getting stuck in a scarcity mindset? How can I climb out of that? How can I travel in style? on a budget? Do I expect my spouse to take care of all the financials because of some cultural upbringing? If so, how is this serving me or is it not? Is it not? And when I want to save money, how can I focus on fixed costs? Thank you so much for listening, my friends. Go spread love, compassion, and support into this world. Much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself 
or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.